Well, good morning. Welcome to the Hope. Yes. So there have been so many of you that have uh, asked about water baptism that Pastor Barb wanted me to mention that it, we're going to do a water baptism in two weeks on what will be June 11th. So we want you to uh, take that next step. You're born again. What does that mean? That you've given your heart and life to Jesus. And what's next? To become water baptized. And of course, not in necessarily in this order, but also filled with the Holy Spirit. And when, I, when Pastor Barb shared about Jamie, she actually wrote me this morning and said that she was going to um, another, I don't know if they're assembly, but they believe the same things we believe, the 16 fundamental truths. I think they are, but I'm not positive. But we want you guys, you ladies, uh, to find a church in your own community, wherever you're from, because this is just part of it. You know, this is the start. And, and we want to give you, we want to, it, it's Pastor Dave, <clears throat> my old pastor, I shouldn't call him old, my pastor, anyway, when I was under him as my pastor, uh, he used to talk about the rocket and how the most thrust was needed at the very beginnings of the stage to get it off the ground. Once it was in the air, it actually started to move fairly easy you know it didn't take as much energy so what you ladies are doing today you're you're that rocket boost you're getting off the ground and we want to send you i mean we want you to go well but when you get amen when you get to the other end wherever you're located whether it's lansing detroit flint saginaw southeast southwest yep I know you're from all over. We want you to find a rock-solid church where you can continue this process. That, that's our hope for you. That's our prayer uh, over you as, as we pray. So don't think this is it. There are great churches out there, and, and I know I like to think we're one of them, but uh, we just want to give you that help. So if you don't know where to go, just connect with one of us, and we'll certainly try to help you find that. So, I have been doing this series that I've been calling The Last Days, and Daniel is certainly a part of Last Day Prophecy, and we're going to get into a lot more of this, but I want you to understand that some of the chapters aren't necessarily about last days, and today's is one of those. However, the story that Daniel shares is, is so amazing there are miracles in Daniel that you don't see anywhere else. And we like miracles. I'm, I'm not necessarily thinking that yesterday was a miracle when I stayed home to be with my wife. That's what she called it, but whatever. I'll, I'll let her have that one. But the miracles that we read about in uh, Daniel, and today we're going to read about an amazing miracle. It just shows that God can do what? anything anything so if you think oh i'm too far gone oh i'll never make it through this trial well wait till you hear about this guy or guys i should say so are you ready fasten your seat belts how many like a roaring bonfire everybody here most of you here there's nothing like, I, I don't think there's anything more relaxing than sitting around that bonfire with your family or friends, whatever, and, and just watching the, the crackle of the wood and, you know, the, the, okay, no, that part's not, that part's not relaxing, but that's where you get your thermocell out, hopefully, if you have one. But. It wouldn't be the same, of course, without what? Who, who said it? We've got to start thinking food. Wouldn't be the same without the marshmallows. 
Maybe the graham crackers or, or the, the Hershey's candy bar thing you put inside of it. Maybe a couple hot dogs to go with that, eh? I mean, I don't think a hot dog tastes any better than off of a, a bonfire like that. There's just something about it. It absorbs that. Well, today, we're sort of talking about a fire, not a bonfire. And instead of roasting marshmallows and hot dogs, they're actually going to try to roast a few young Hebrew boys. But hey, <laughs> we'll get into that, all right, as we proceed here. So let's begin our study in Daniel chapter 3, verse 1. And I, have, I think I have all of the scriptures behind me. King Nebuchadnezzar. Everybody say, King Nebuchadnezzar. Don't you like, that just rolls off the tongue. <laughs> Made a gold statue 90 feet tall, 9 feet wide, and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Wow. Something about this dimension is a little disturbing, and that is, if you do the math, and you picture a 90-foot tall statue 9 feet wide, Proportionally, and, and we're thinking this is supposed to look like a human being. Proportionally, what would that look like? It'd be like the difference between this and this. You know, right? It'd be almost like a totem pole. So here's the thing. Because a lot of people, you know, they like picking on the Bible. They like to tear it apart to do what? To prove in their mind that it isn't truth that it couldn't have happened. Well, guess what? There were some archaeologists that found this gigantic platform made out of rock that was 40 foot tall by 40 foot, you know. What do you think that was for? Found in this same region. A base. Now, if you had a 40 foot tall base... And then a 50-foot statue of a guy, nine foot wide, now it would be what? Proportional. It would really look like a man, like it was supposed to. So the archaeologists actually found this. We believe that it is from this very statue. Uh, and, and it happens to be uh, just south of, uh, what's the capital city of? Of, jeez, uh, my mind is going. <laughs> Baghdad. It was just south of Baghdad. So, Dura is a real place. This really happened. We can trust what the scriptures tell us. Then he sent messages. Oops, I shouldn't have gone there. Then he sent messages to the high officers, officials, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and the provincial officials to come to the dedication of the statue that he had set up. I should read that really fast. That was fun. <laughs> All you need to understand here is this list is in order of importance. It starts from the top guys down, okay? Uh, which isn't a big deal, but it does list the advisors, and that was a title that was given to the young Hebrew boys, remember? And Daniel. Daniel was an advisor to the king as well. Uh, if you look at Daniel 2.49, after Daniel addressed the king's dream and, and he gave Daniel all this prominence, he said, all right, I want you to, to run or rule the, uh, the inner court, all my advisors. Daniel said, hey, I want my three friends over here to, to be rewarded too. And he said, whatever you want. So they gave them these titles of, uh, they were put in charge of being the province, which is the outlying areas, not in the city itself. So this also answers one of the questions some people bring up, and I hope I'm not bringing in too many details, but I just want you to understand that these are questions people do legitimately ask. They say, where was Daniel? Well, he was running the kingdom from the, the court, from the king's seat. So most likely, he didn't go to where the boys were. He didn't go to this Dura thing because he had other responsibilities. He was the top guy in the king's advisory role. 
So what I also want you to understand, and this just hit me this morning, sometimes, and, and I see this a lot with families, the parents will always be the leader of the spiritual stuff. Right? And then when it's time for their son or their daughter to take the lead, if they're there, what does the son or daughter do? Why don't you pray, Dad? Right? That happens a lot. So this is just my mind, and, and I, I'm just feeling this out with you. But I think what might have happened here is God was like, you know what? If Daniel's there, they're all going to yield to him. I want to see what these, I want these boys to see what they're made of. So he separates the four. Daniel has to stay back so that the three boys, which we're going to read about here in just a minute, they have to make a decision. What are they going to do? So let's read what happens next. You still with me? Good. The statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had built stood on the plain of Dura. Oh, I had it right in my notes. Just south of the modern city of Baghdad. What I want you to understand is you could see this thing for miles. Why would somebody build something like this in the middle of nowhere? Because this is the first thing you're going to see when you come to Babylon. And you're going to see it from, I don't know how far away you could see it, 10, 15 miles? And the closer you get, the bigger it gets. Right? Until you get to the place where you're, you're doing this. What does that make you feel like? Who did this? This thing is nine stories tall. Who puts one of these? This king must be amazing. I mean, what kind of king could do this to put this gigantic statue in the middle of nowhere? And they would be talking about how great the king was, which was his idea. Now, we don't know if the statue was a replica of Nebuchadnezzar or one of their gods, little g, but we presume that it's actually the god of Marduk, not a bust or a statue of Nebuchadnezzar. And there are a lot of reasons that we feel that way, or scholars do, but what I want you to just understand is we think, and you'll see this as we continue on here, we think that this was actually the God of Marduk, not of the king himself. Daniel 3.3 says this, So all these officials came and stood before the king Nebuchadnezzar had set up. See, I didn't say that right. Stood before the statue that the king Nebuchadnezzar had set up. There you go. Now two things here. First, the king wanted everybody to spy this thing from miles and miles away. I already talked about that. Second, regardless of who the statue represents, what the people were told to do before the statue, that, that's what matters the most. Does anybody know what they were going to be expected to do? I heard it all over the room. So some of you have already read this and are familiar with it. They were going to be required to bow down to it. Why does this matter? Whoa. You guys have done your Bible studies. Somebody said, you're not supposed to serve another God. Awesome. Have you ever heard of these? Where'd they come from? Ah, somebody just threw them on the, the court wall, right? They're still on some of the walls of our judicial system. They came from the Old Testament during the time of Moses when God was trying to give his people an edge up. This is what you do if you want to make me happy. All right? You obey my commands. If you'll do this, your days, all the days of your life are going to be blessed beyond measure. If you don't do this, what happens? Not good things, right? You want the blessing, you got to do the right things. Hello? You want the blessing, you got to do the right things. Now, I'm not going to get into this a whole lot other than just to say, do you remember what the first command was? Don't have any gods before you, all right? 
So that's, you must not have any God but me. This is the NLT, of course. Read the next one. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. What is the king asking these boys to do? Break the commandments. Listen, they knew what the Ten Commandments were. They knew a whole lot more than this, but they understood the idea that if you break God's commands, there's going to be a curse on you. But if you keep God's commands, there will be a blessing. Let's look at the next verse. You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods? I lay the, this part is hard. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected. Even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. Are you getting this? The Lord's not playing around. If you have other gods, it's going to affect your children even to the third and fourth generation. But here's the good news. Everybody say good news. But I lavish unfailing love. Read this with me. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. Woohoo! Let me just say a thousand generations. That's a lot of generations. Right? You want your family to be blessed. What do you do? Obey God. Hallelujah. These boys knew this. They understood that we must, read these with me, love God, obey His commands, blessing to a thousand generations. They understood this. So which way do you think they're thinking when they were told they had to bow down? Let's continue our study here. Hallelujah. Then, I, then a herald shouted out, people of all races and nations and languages, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and other musical instruments, bow to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. doesn't say it is Nebuchadnezzar's. It just says it's his statue. Anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Woo-hoo! Bonfire. So at the sound of the musical instruments, all the people, whatever their race or nation or language, bowed to the ground and worshipped the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Hallelujah. (laughs) I doubt the king expected anyone to reject his command. After all, who would want to be barbecued in a fiery furnace? It would have been difficult, though, for the king to spot these three young men standing there after everybody else was face down. There were hundreds of people, if not thousands. So when he was told in the next part of this that there were three who did not, how do you think he took it? Let's read it. But some of the astrologers, note that, went to the king and informed on the Jews. <laughs> I know something you don't know. Now, they were really actually very careful because they didn't want to end up with... <clears throat> they said to King Nebuchadnezzar, Long live the king! I mean, you want, if you're sucking up to somebody, long live Ron! Just before you give him news. You issued a decree requiring all the people to bow down and worship the gold statue when they hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and other musical instruments. That decree also states that those who refuse to obey must be thrown into the what? Blazing furnace. By the way, they suggest that this thing was taken up to a temperature of around 1,000 degrees-ish. Hmm... 
If you want to picture this in your mind, picture, how many remember? All right, Jesse, you probably don't remember this. You guys are way too young. The old milk bottle, glass milk bottle. How many? You still have them? You guys are like from Oldville, eh? I guess they still have them. They still have cows? Kidding. So this old milk bottle would be kind of the shape of of the furnace that we're talking about here. They would build it into a, a, a hill where you could walk up on top of the hill and you'd be able to look down inside of it. And then on the side, they would, of course, have a, another door where they could throw in the fuel, whatever that was, fuel, uh, wood or coal or people, in this case. Let's move on. Where was I? But there are some Jews. Now, this part you really got to capture. Why are they saying this? There are some Jews. Why didn't they just say, there are some Young astrologers, or young advisors, as they were called. No, how do they identify them? Jews. So, exactly, thank you. They were racist. You see that? They want blood, and it it isn't just that they were Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you have put in charge of the province of Babylon. So, They're also what? Jealous. Because the king put them in charge of the province of Babylon. Not them. If you go back to the last chapter, if you were here last week, you you read that with us. So not only are they racist, but they're jealous of these guys. And they don't like them. Frankly. All right? They pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve the gods and do not worship the gold statue that you have set up. Read that last part again. They refuse to serve your gods and do not worship the gold statue. This is one of the reasons why uh, the scholars feel that this is referring to a statue of Marduk, not King Nebuchadnezzar, because it actually talks about your gods along with the statue. Get it? Does that make a good connection, I hope? All right. Then, ooh, then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage, and I didn't mean to leave that part in there. His face contorted. (laughs) He became flushed. Have you ever been around somebody that was angry like this? You, right? Redheads just have that. Were you a redhead? Okay, I'm just asking. That makes a lot of sense now. I didn't know that. Maybe I did. Anyhow, I'm messing with him. Not truth. But this king was so angry that these boys didn't do what he said. So there's a lot going on here, but let me just name one thing here, and it's called pride. We're going to get into this a lot more next week, but pride is something this king deals with. He also has a temper, obviously. (laughs) He has a temper. And he ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. When they're brought in, listen to this part, Nebuchadnezzar says to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, he sounds like he's best buds with these guys. Is it true? Tell me it's not true. That you refuse to worship my gods or to worship the gold statue that I've set up. He didn't get it. He's like, come on, guys, I gave you a command. You got, you got this cozy job that I've set you up in. All you got to do is face plant when the, when the orchestra starts. And they refused to do it. And he was not happy. And listen to this part. I'll give you another chance. Just in case, you know, maybe he could persuade them to do what was right and to, in his mind, do what was right and to bow down and worship the statue that I've made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you'll be thrown into the 
blazing furnace, and then, get this, he's throwing, he's throwing the gauntlet down. He's challenging God. And then what God will be able to rescue you from whose power? Woohoo! Don't ever do this with God. Come on, God. Don't do that. Listen, I'm just telling you. I'm not a genius. But this much I know, he is way bigger than we are. In every sense. You do not want to challenge the Lord. All right? That's what this king's doing. He's saying, come on. Your God can't save you. (laughs) next verse Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego replied oh Nebuchadnezzar we do not need to defend ourselves before you that probably hurt if we are thrown into the blazing furnace the God whom we serve is able to save us he will rescue us from your power your majesty So here they just tell him, look, my God can save me. All right? But read this next part. This is the part nobody likes, but it's important that we all feel this way. Verse 18, but even if he doesn't, say even if he doesn't. Even if he doesn't save me, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you have set up. If Daniel had been there, they might have leaned on him, but instead they came up with this on their own. Their own faith grew through this experience. That's something that I want you to see. It's very important. I also wanted to say this. I hope that none of us ever has to face this kind of trial. But persecution is coming if it isn't already here. In the Bible, it does describe a time in the last days when these things are going to be more prominent, more regular. There is a time coming when everybody is going to have to take the number of the beast and worship him. My guess is you'll be required to face plant in front of it, whatever the beast is. We don't know that for sure. Which means we, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we have to decide. Don't wait until you're in this fix. Decide it now. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We will never bow our knee to another God but the God. Hallelujah. Just to remind you of Jesus' words in Matthew 10, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Is that clear? The Apostle Paul went on, and I just threw this in for the fun of it. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity? Does it? Or are persecuted? Or are hungry? Or destitute? Or in danger? Or threatened with death? Just as these boys are. As the scripture says, For your sake we are killed every day. We're being slaughtered like sheep. you got to realize this is in the first century. Rome was on a rampage. Even the Jews wanted the Christians killed off. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Now, there's another part to this. I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
These guys didn't have this. <laughs> they didn't have the words of Jesus. They didn't have the words of the Apostle Paul to stand and lean on. But they knew enough from the Old Testament and from the Ten Commands that they had to honor God with their life, if that's what it meant, if that's what it took. And we all should be convinced of the same. The boys did the right thing, and they honored God. Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face became distorted with rage. I mean, have you ever seen The Mask? I liked it for weird reasons, but anyway, when that mask got on his face and he can, his whole face contorted, you know, as it kind of stuck on him, I can picture the king like that. I mean, just, I can't see a chance you not taking it. I don't need a heart attack, so I better calm down. He commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter. <laughs> what this really means, they didn't mean literally seven times hotter because that'd be like 7,000 degrees, but what they were saying is get that thing cooking as hot as you can. It was hot, and we we're going to figure that out real quick. Then he ordered some of his strongest men. I don't know why they had to be strong, but they were his strongest his strongest men, hey boys, from his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and then throw them into the blazing furnace. So picture the buff soldiers tying these men up. You know, they could barely bend over because they're so big. What happened? They tied them up and threw them into the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, their turbans, robes, and other garments. Now, we don't know a whole lot about everything they're wearing, but one thing I wanted to point out, and this was pointed out in one of the uh, books that I was reading, we know about the turbans, and these things were like incendiary. You get a match even close to them, and they go, Whoa! okay? That's what I want you to see. So I'm guessing a lot of the clothes they're wearing is very flammable okay and because the king in his anger had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace say hot fire in the furnace the flames killed the soldiers as they threw these three men in <laughs> how cool would that be i don't know I, i'm just trying to picture this in my own head and these big, burly guys, all of a sudden, they just melt. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. Again, picture throwing them into a giant milk bottle. All right. Where am I at here? Whew, okay, I got that, did that. Let's go to the next part. As the king watched all of this, and he must have been down by the side of the thing because what happens next, he spots something going on. A miracle. But suddenly, say, but suddenly, <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, did we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did, they replied. I don't know why they sound like that. but <laughs> Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound walking around in the fire unharmed. And the fourth looks like a god. Huh. Everybody say, huh. How many of you think this is a miracle? Rough guess, does it look like a miracle? Does it smell like a miracle? We're going to see that. Look at this. New American Commentary. Got his name here somewhere. Stephen Miller said this. He said, from the Christian perspective, we know that the pre-incarnate Christ 
did appear to individuals in the Old Testament. So did Jesus show up before he came to Nazareth? Yes. Most likely, the fourth man in the fire was the angel of the Lord. God himself. In the person of who? The Son, Jesus Christ. And this is a view that's held by many of the expositors or the scholars. So I just want you to understand that this is my take. Not everybody agrees, but I believe most of the evangelical scholars do. So we all feel like this was none other than Jesus. 200 years before the boys were thrown into the fire, another prophet, well-known, his name's Isaiah, he said this in Isaiah 43 too, when you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. You think the boys had read this? You better believe it. Isaiah was at the top of the book club, all right? In reading, he was one of the priorities for these young uh, advisors, these Hebrew boys. They trusted God at his word, and they were spared. Verse 26, Then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace, and he shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego! Listen to this. Servants of the Most High God! Wow, something happened. His, his whole tune changed. Servants of the Most High God, come out! Come out here! Let's partay! Let's have a parlay. Now, I don't know why they listened to him. He's the one that threw him in there. I would have stood inside and knelt. <laughs> but I'm not Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they all stepped out of the fire. All right. Then the high officers, the officials, the governors, and the advisors, I love this, crowded around them. And what they see the fire didn't touch a thread of their garments. Not only that, they didn't smell like fire. Not a hair on their head was, was singed. I mean, I get around fire, it doesn't matter. I can be 10 feet away and I singe something. I just don't have me around your fires. At least creating them. Once they're up, we're good. But you, you can invite me to your bonfire. Just have it already. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. I love this part. They defied the king's command. I can almost hear him saying it like that. They defied me and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any other God than their own. I think he had a respect for them, for standing up for their faith. We are going to be asked to do so many things that contradict what God wants us to do. And we have to be so careful not to follow the crowd, not to do what sounds right to them, but what sounds right to Him. That's the only thing that matters. If you're pleasing God, you're in, you're in a good place. But if you're disobeying God, breaking His commands, it's only going to lead to bad things. Even your children will be under that curse. We don't want that. I want my kids to be blessed to the thousandth generation. That's what I want. And I hope you do too. Hallelujah. We're about wrapping this up. 
I didn't have the last two verses up here, but I, I was going to read them real quick. From Even though I have everything behind me and in my notes, I still have a Bible. <laughs> Just want you to know that once in a while. Therefore I decree, verse 29, that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble for no other God can save in this way. He got it. At least in this scenario. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. So once again, we see, you do it right, God will bless you. You do it wrong, the result in Daniel 3 was that God gave, I'm sorry, the king gave Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's God the glory. He, he admitted that no other God could do this. None of his gods could do this. Little G. And then he promoted the boys. Sadly, as we're going to see next week, if I stay on course, Nebuchadnezzar still hasn't figured out that God can't just be another little G God. He has to be the big G God. Do you believe that there is only one God made up of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? We call this the Holy Trinity. And He has all power. Do you believe that? And He's still in control of all things. Do you believe that the Lord is able to deliver his people, even you, if that's the case, from, from certain death, from whatever you might be facing, trials and problems. But does the Lord always deliver his people in every situation? What's the answer? No. He doesn't. We, we've seen that time and again in the early part of the church so many gave their lives for their faith but all the way to that whatever they did to them and there were horrendous things I won't go into that today but wherever they were about to lose their life take their last breath almost without exception people said you could see the glory of God on them, and they were still saying, I forgive you to the people who were persecuting them. And that's, that's what we're supposed to do if, if God asks us to go this far. There are times, though, that the Lord withholds our safety to promote His good purpose. Again, to borrow from the Apostle Paul. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. For we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us. Because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. If you find yourself, and, and you could stand with me because I can tell some of you are getting antsy. Jesse. Good to see you, by the way, young man. If you find yourself in a place where it seems like there's no way out, what do you do? Trust God. The more 
scripture that you know, the easier this is going to be for you. I, I just shared this with you, Romans 5, 3 to 5. What about this one? Anybody remember this one? Hebrews 13, 5. For God has said, what? Now let's say it together, the whole thing. For God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. Some of you have been abandoned in life. Maybe it was a parent. Maybe it was a spouse. And that causes all kinds of stuff going on inside of you. That's stuff nobody should have to deal with. But there is a God, the one true God. In the Old Testament, they called him Yahweh. They called him Adonai. They called him so many different, awesome, amazing names. In the New Testament, we're introduced to his son, <laughs> Jesus. He proclaimed that he was the son of man. We like to call him the son of God. Because he is both. And no matter what you go through, you may have to go through the fire. And, and I'm not wishing this or prophesying this over anybody here that this is you. I'm just saying, and, and don't, don't go to such an extreme. It can be, it can be a, a smaller fire that you have to go through. It doesn't have to be a blazing infernal thing where you're thrown into it. It doesn't matter. Trials and, and, and tribulations are not easy to go through. But what you need to remember is he'll never fail you. He'll never forget you. He'll always be with you. So when you find yourself in those places, my best recommendation is to do this. It's just something about kneeling to him. To him you can bow. He's the only one. You get on your knees, maybe even get on your face, and you say, God, I don't have this. I can't control this experience, this, this situation. So I put my faith and trust in you that you've got this. And Lord, I want to be obedient to you. And you give it to him. You let the Lord work out the details. And you just start worshiping him, thanking him for what he wants to do in your life. Christ will always be with you. You know, our, our whole purpose here is to give God the glory, no matter what we're going through. Sometimes it's, it's a lot easier, I should say. It's a lot easier to give God the glory when everything's bright and rosy and nothing's going wrong. We got enough money to buy groceries for a month. You know, our car payment's paid up, our house payment, electric. Everything's caught up. Who praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And then the next month, you come in and somehow the IRS found something that you didn't know was there and they're telling you you owe them five grand. Your house payment's due. Your car payment's due. It was a little colder that month, so your heat bill was sky high, and you're just like, really? What do I do? I don't have this, Lord, but I know you do. You're in control. I love you. I serve you, and I give you all of this. Have your way. In Jesus' name. You don't know how hard it is for me to do that twice in a row. If, if, that's my, my closing, if, God forbid, you are, you find yourself like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, being thrown into something that might even cost you your life. My best advice is this. What's the worst thing that can happen? <laughs> it's 
when you take your last breath and close your eyes, when you open them, you're going to be in heaven. Truth. God loves you. Has prepared a place for you. I shared that scripture last week, John 14. He's waiting. If you get there ahead of the church, he's waiting. Got a place for you. Got a place for me. Father, take this message today and use it to your glory. Remind us of these three young Hebrew boys, Lord, who literally went through the fire and came out smelling like a rose or whatever they shampooed with that morning. You know our futures. You know everything that we're gonna, that's going to be asked of us. May we be faithful. When the enemy comes at us, when Satan tries to take us out, Lord, I pray that we would fight with all that we have in the Spirit. If God be for me, who can be against me? And I trust that no weapon forged against me will prosper. Lord, you got this. And we want to bring glory and praise and honor to your name so that whenever anything comes at us, when it's all said and done, and when those naysayers like King Nebuchadnezzar say, no God can come against the power I have, they're going to see just exactly what you're capable of. And you're going to use these people, these people, Lord, the people that are watching online today, you're going to use us to your glory. And we give you all the praise, Lord, and all the glory. And everybody said, Amen. If you do have prayer requests or prayer needs, I should say, just come. Our, our, partner, are you gonna, our partners will come up and uh, pray with you if you need anything today before you leave. Father, just uh, bless these next couple days as we spend time with family and friends. Lord, just uh, may we memorialize Jesus in our life as much as we do all the other saints that gave their lives for, for this country. Bless each one, Lord, as we go about doing the work of the kingdom and grow it as only you can. God, have your way with us. And teach us, Lord, how to be obedient. We pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. God bless you. We hope you have a great week.